Welcome to the CDC Podcast, Episode 51. I'm your host, Eric Swain, and with me this time is video essayist Angelina, more commonly known as Red Angel on YouTube. For those of you who don't know, I'm Red Angel. I'm over on YouTube. I do the Late Night Pondering series, and I do a lot of big, long video essays, most of them involving death for some reason, but we'll talk about that later. So you actually have a pre-YouTube game criticism career. Would you care to talk about that? Sure. Well, first of all, I used to write for my college newspaper for the entertainment section, and I did a lot of video game stuff there, and it used to all be available online before the entire site went kapooey. But I also became an intern over at GameSkinny.com, and I did a lot of work there, working with Kickstarter campaigns, working with streamers, interviewing people, and then doing reviews and news articles. I also was a staff writer over at NoobFeed.com for quite some time. That wasn't an internship. That was a paid position. And then I went back to GameSkinny after some time from NoobFeed and had a paid position there. And I still post things there on occasion, but for the most part, I've kind of switched over to YouTube. And what was the work you did at GameSkinny and the other places? I did a lot of interviews with Kickstarter campaigns. I did reviews. I did news articles. I did a couple of opinion pieces that got about a million hits. One of them had a, looked like it had a, close to a billion the last time I checked. And those are the top 10 best mega evolutions, which is incredibly outdated now. But it's still one of the top search engine optimized things if you look it up. I also did a lot of editorials, too. And I did that over at NoobFeed. And one of the big editorials I did, I think, was about because they asked me to do the top 10 sexist games. And I just did the article as an integration into the site. And it wasn't my, I didn't think it was my best article, but it got me the job. So I did it. That's basically where you said, I'm not going to rate these. I'm just going to choose 10 egregious examples and then put them, in a random, put them in a random order. I just like, I looked up like the worst possible one, <laughs> except for like the n- number 10, I did Honey Pot because I could not think of anything else. I was just like. I guess it's the only one of those that I'm like, all right, that one was a little much, even for like, I'm like that's that one's not that bad. But I just was like, I need a number ten, so I don't know what to put here. So, how did you switch over into video-based video game criticism? You know, I've always wanted to do it. I was just trying to figure out how to do it because I knew I needed a mic, I knew I needed a decent setup, and because I'm so critical about my own work that I didn't want to do it until I was like, I'm 100% ready to put myself out there with my voice and everything else. And so I just kind of was like, I'll do an editorial like I would do for GameSkin or, or NoobFeed, but I'll put my own personal thing. Because when you're a game journalist, putting your own personal takes on thing is very frowned upon. That's what I've noticed. Like, unless it's like a big editorial that you're trying to rile people up, which is so common now, it's ridiculous. But, like, if I could put my own spin on it and just be myself and be more personal. So I did the Life is Strange video about the endings. And because I really had this idea and this vision that I wanted to do. And, by the way, I had no idea the video essay community existed at all. No idea. (laughs) I just was like, I want to do this. I want to make a video essay. And I just decided I'm going to make it about video games, just like everything else. And I just did it. And I just really liked doing it because I like recording my voice. And I like – because I get better feedback from video essays than I ever did any articles. That's a big thing that I was surprised about. People actually listen to me more when I'm talking to them 
and when I'm writing certain articles. It was just kind of this insane moment, you know? Is it because, like, the community-fueled nature that YouTube instinctively provides with their platform, or is it, I guess, people respond to a voice over text? I think it's a little of both. I know I've had a lot of people go, you have such a great voice for voiceovers. And with YouTube, it's because it does encourage comments and community. So it gave me a chance to actually get the feedback I needed to improve my own writing and my own personal, like, cavalcade. Like, looking back on my first video, it's not a bad video. I could have improved a couple of things. But for a first video for a for a brand new video essayist, I was like, you know, this isn't bad. I actually, and but and people gave me feedback, and it was constructive, and I could actually focus on it a little more. I know this is usually like a, a frowned upon th thing, especially for someone who isn't the actual YouTuber, but I always tend to look at these view counts as like a measure of like how much attention a person is getting or how much like that sort of thing. And to hear that you, like your editorials on written has got like a million hits and your first video got like has 1300 at the time of recording and yet you get better feedback off YouTube. I find that like a huge jump. I know. It's insane because that when you post, it's just like, oh, look, it's like, oh, look, another clickbait. Or it's like, oh, another article or something like that. And yet I won't get feedback on it. I'll get someone being like, that's pretty cool. And I was like, great. But with videos, people are like, oh, and they'll actually write a comment and think about what they're saying most of the time. I've gotten, like, like very few weird comments, but I've gotten a few. <laughs> I've gotten a few. <laughs> Only a few on YouTube. That That's lucky. Hilariously enough, yeah, there was one that, like, I had a couple of spam ones, like, look at my look at my video now that I've looked at yours. But then I've gotten, like, one guy that's like, maybe your name should be Bed Angel rather than Red Angel. And I went... I'm I'm gonna assume that you're joking. He's like, I'm not, and I'm like, and my first odd comment. Okay, let's go. <laughs> what do you do with that? <laughs> Just stare at stare at the wall for a second. And go, okay, yep, that happened. <laughs> because <laughs> it's not like offensive, but it's just so weird. It's just like I I can't imagine how you reacted to that. It was just like a moment of I'm like. I'm just going to respond, and then I'm never going to say a word again. <laughs> and I would just like to bring up, sometimes when you respond to comments, people are like, wow, thank you for responding to my comment. I went, I thought that's what you were supposed to do. Apparently not. Everybody's like, the comment section's terrible. I went, my comment section's usually pretty good. Well, that's the uh, the percentage thing. There was a recent thing going around about, like, just fandoms in general, how 10% of it, like, they gave some random number because no one's ever actually done a study on this. Like 10% of any fandom is just full of random shitheads. Yeah. And if you're a tiny fandom, that's four or five people. You can safely figure out how to contain and control those so it doesn't infect everything else. When your fandom is like 100,000 people, well, 10% is 1,000 people. Now it's bigger, harder. Now if you have a million people, well, you can't contain them at all. So I can imagine that getting a lot more out of hand if it grows. Probably. Which is, which is a pity. But <laughs> more bed angel comments. What what can I do with those? <laughs> but what is your process in actually creating a video? Okay. Usually usually I'll play a game or I'll just kind of start writing something out. I'll just start writing out like things that just come into my mind. Just a lot of stream of consciousness like going through each individual idea and I'll just write an idea and I'll say, Okay, what can I do with this? 
Like, for example, uh, the Oxenfree video that I did, the duality of grief of Clarissa and Alex, which is, in my opinion, one of my best videos written-wise. I had played Oxenfree, and I was thinking about it, like how these characters coped with their trauma and the PTSD. And because a big part of when I was in college was I did a lot of research into like death in literature and death in literature among young adult literature. So I kind of used my knowledge from college and I went, okay, I could also use psychology and explain how they go through this grieving process. And like, and I start pulling all of these sources and I'll just Google scholar like ideas, just like for the duality of grief. I was like adolescence, dealing with the loss of a sibling for Alex. And I found all these articles and I read them and I was trying to, and I formed in my head this intricate web of different ideas and I just start piecing them all together and I was like, I'll write like 2,000 words and I'll delete half of them and I'll write, and I'll, and I'll add 300 words and I'll delete 12 of them and I'll just like, it's just like this process of like, it's not, it's not manic, but it's almost manic because I can organize my ideas a lot better when I'm just in this zone of construction of this web that I've done. And after you have it written? After I have it written, I'll read it over a couple of times, like a couple thousand times, and I'll say it out loud to myself, and I'll always go back and check things just to make sure that it's, it all lines up to what I'm saying. Because sometimes I've noticed that what I'll do is I'll, like, if, if it doesn't connect right, I'll rewrite a sentence. Or if it doesn't sound right when I say it out loud with my phrasing, I'll redo it. Because I've always studied language and vocabulary. It's very important to me to, for me to speak well and to be very, like, not, I don't want to say, like, pompous. But I want to say, like, I have to be able to speak well and know what I'm talking about. And if I sound like I'm, like, hesitating or it's not the right wording, I will completely cut a sentence and rewrite it. And I have a couple of beta readers who, who I'll skip sentence to, and they'll be like, that doesn't sound right. Or, and I have them look through my work, and then I'll have them look, and then I'll look through my own work. And then usually the final process is me in the process of recording and realizing, like, oh, that sentence doesn't sound right, and I'll just delete the sentence and rewrite it. And it's just like this, and then it becomes this beautiful construction of multiple edits and multiple pass-throughs and just just sounds like I want it to sound like poetry I don't know if that makes sense but I just want it to sound like no one else could have said it better I'm a perfectionist can you tell (laughs) (laughs) and when it comes to the actual video when it comes to footage gathering usually I try to do it myself I don't like using other people's footage but sometimes my recording software sucks and my and you'll probably notice that in the credits of my videos I don't I my ones up until a certain point have one editor and then afterwards they have a different editor because that I had a friend of mine who was like helping me edit and I wasn't satisfied with it completely a lot of times because and I felt like I needed to be next to them to talk to them so I got another editor who I was able to communicate with freer and I would tell them I'm not even joking you I have I record and then I get all the footage and I have timestamps which footage frame is going to be in each shot. And then I will edit with them because I know them and they're someone I know in real life. It's my boyfriend of eight years. And we'll edit next to each other and like piece it together from like my scribbled out timestamps 
and like through the, the, by the way, you want to know what editing software I use? Shotcut. I use like freeware. It's freeware. Unfortunately, I don't know much about like actual editing software for video. I have built up an extensive library for audio. Audacity, baby. That's what I use. Uh, so I use like free audio software and free video software, and I I sew that intricately together with a needle thread. This podcast is a similar shoestring operation. <laughs> you gotta gotta make it work. And it does. It does. It's a low-budget operation, but what I can do with it is what matters. What I can, like, piece together, I can piece together this Frankenstein monster, and I'm like, look at how good it looks. You see how good it sounds? It's because I'm an obsessive person who can make anything sound good if I just stare at it long enough. (laughs) And so what do you feel that the video adds to the criticism? I feel like it provides images to go with what I'm saying. Because if I just, like, if I use random footage, for example, like of some, I don't know, some jackhole doing a random thing, then people are going to see it and they're not going to pay attention. With the video, it's different. Because with the video, they can see what I'm saying correlates with what's on the screen. And it, sho- it shows them a bigger picture of what's going on. It shows them this establishing shots of... A good example, Clarissa and Alex, when Clarissa start in the Oxen Free video, when I start talking about how Clarissa is like is like angry and upset, or I show the video footage of when she's criticizing Alex and when she's talking about the brother who's passed. And it's just, by the way, spoilers for Oxen Free. Surprise. Um, <laughs> sorry. But just showing the like the moments that establish the characters that goes with the words that I'm saying. It adds a whole new level to the criticism or to the essay that I could not do just written. And I'm a writer, too, which, like, it kills me a little because I'm a writer and I'm good with imagery and I'm really good with imagery. I'm just I'm sorry I'm tooting my own horn here, but I'm a good writer. And I know that I can make, I can paint a picture really well with my words, but the video essay adds just this beautiful, like, synergy that I can't do otherwise. You know, it's fascinating to meet a writer who is that super confident in their own writing. That is like a unicorn. I'm not always this confident. Like, there's a lot of things that I I know I'm not good at. Like, if you ever get me to try to write poetry, it's like, oh, man, that's a greeting card. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. You want a cookie? (laughs) Go. But, like, when it – I know what I'm good at. I know exactly what I'm good at. I'm good at imagery, and I'm good at symbolism. And I'm really good at dialogue sometimes, but then sometimes it's not as good. I can understand when I'm messing up, but I know I have this confidence because I know what I can do. I just got to do it. Charging it head first. I've been asking what video adds to pretty much everyone who's been on, and I get a lot of similar answers. But really fascinating to me is when I asked, like, how you got into video game criticism, you actually said that you – that just being audio changed how you wrote. It does. Because I'm talking out loud. Because I can hear <laughs> because I can hear how stupid I sound. <laughs> I'll hear myself because I realize and I started doing it with the stories that I'm working on and I started saying it out loud and I went, Oh, okay, I sound like a numbskull. All right, change it. Well, also the sentence that is to be read is very different from the sentence that is to be spoken. Mm-hmm. And 
I want it, and I'm realizing that I want my writing to seem like it can be spoken and read, and there's almost no difference. That, like, no matter what, like, you're like, oh, man, I get what she's saying, or I get what she's writing. And it's like, I'm trying to think of the right word for this. What I really like about audio recording is that there's this presence that it adds to your writing. Because when you write and then you read it out loud, it's like it's a different frame of mind. You get really focused on the words, and you realize that how much people focus on your words if you speak them in a certain way or emphasize certain things. Also, fun fact, I do a lot of music stuff. I was in choir, and I did a lot of vocal stuff. So adding on to my vocabulary thing, it just everything just has to mesh in a certain way. And I think audio and voice adds so much to your writing, in my opinion. That's just me. Does that, I don't know if that makes sense. It does. It does. But let's go to like, the content of your videos. Unlike every other YouTuber I've interviewed, you don't have a focus on AAA games. In fact, I think only like two of your videos like directly contend with a title like that. Or like it seems like you're establishing yourself as like the go-to indie reviewer or like the indie YouTuber because that is like the majority of your work. Yeah, it was completely accidental. <laughs> <laughs> it was completely accidental. The why I cover indie games video pretty much sums up a lot of why I've been covering mostly indie games. I am gonna cover more AAA games in the future. That is something I'm gonna do. Like, I'm going to do a Red Recommends thing, and I'm going to talk about Chrono Cross. I'm going to talk about Lost Kingdoms 2. I really want to talk about Lost Kingdoms 2. You don't understand. <laughs> the developers from Software, that's one of their, first, their big games back in the GameCube era. That's, like, insane. But I started focusing on indie games because I'm noticing that no one else does. Because it's harder for them to get exposure, and it's harder for them to get somebody who actually wants to look at it. And I'm part of a couple of indie game discords, which here's a fun fact if you ever wanted to know. Indie developers really do not like Jim Sterling at all. Like, at all. Like, they will, and I'm saying like a lot because they will tell you how often they, they'll they say, you made another video about a green light game. And I go, because I've had developers come up to me and, and they will tell you. They go, are you going to just rip into my game like Jim Sterling would? And I went, I'm going to criticize it, but I don't want to be like Jim Sterling? Why are you asking me? Uh, it's the culture of YouTube. I've come across like newer YouTubers and critics that they, because they're just starting out, they tend to ape what they've like experienced because that's how they think it has to be done. So I guess they're worried that, oh, it's going to be following the popular trends of YouTube. Yeah. I had actually, all right, in one of my, the Bird of Light video, I had the developer in the comment section just saying, oh, you're just negative about every indie game. You're just like Jim Sterling. And he just wrote this huge comment and just, like, reamed into me for not liking his game, which, if you watch the video, it's really hard to like a game like that. It's maddening, for reference. What was really bad about it was, in a lot of the interviews that he did about the game, he said, well, this game is based on a world where this girl it doesn't have to worry about being hurt because he said he based the game off of a world where this girl wouldn't get lit on fire in India. It was a whole thing. 
it was an entire thing, and he said that I was being cruel about a game that had nothing but pure intentions. He's since deleted the comment and has stopped randomly being upset at my video because I've popped up in a couple places, and he keeps trying to take and he kept trying to take it, download it a couple of times. And it was the only time I've ever had a developer just go like that before with me. Because he was convinced I was like Jim Sterling. And I said, that's not why I did this. I wanted to review a game. I wanted to try to establish a reviewing style. I didn't randomly swear and do Jim Sterling-esque things. I just was honest about the game. And that was not good, in his opinion. I actually have the comment, and it's just, I saved it on my Imager account of him just being upset at me. And I just kind of left it there. I was like, eh my one negative comment that I've ever had from a developer. So you fell into mainly reviewing or criticizing indie games. Is it because, like, what are the factors behind that? Okay, cost. <laughs> I, like, I hate... I, did, I, I didn't want to oh, ask. Oh, no, but... <laughs> oh, no, yeah. I'm Okay, I'm a librarian. Librarians don't make that much money. And a lot of times I can't review AAA games. I've seen them. And I can't, I genuinely cannot think of something to say that other people have not said. There are times where I'll just, like, po- like if I reviewed Pokemon Sun, for example, which I just bought recently, if I reviewed Pokemon Sun, what would I say? It's a Pokemon game. They've changed everything up, just like everybody else says. There's, like, there's no substance for me to really go after. But I could go into a video about Pokemon Sun and talk about the animals you know how you know how pokemon uses real life animals to base their pokemon off of let's say yes okay well rowlet is based off of a certain barn owl species in hawaii that's endangered or an invasive species depending on how i view it i could talk about that i'd love to talk about that will people want to talk about that i don't know but i'm gonna write do a video about it at some point and I might do a top 10 Pokemon from Sun and Moon that I like, but I can't, it's hard for me to criticize AAA games sometimes because that it feels like there's nothing there that I can't, that not every other reviewer could, hasn't already said. And that's why our indie games come in, because even if they have established nostalgic traits, even if they have this and this and this, there's something there that nobody's seen. Nobody's heard of this. No one's looking at it. No one's giving it a second glance because it's not uh, it's Wolfenstein 2 Boom Boom Edition. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also, it also should be noted that like the number of videos you have on your channel is a little bit deceptive regarding like how many games you've like done videos on because several of these are like lists of just like pure indie games that you've never heard of, either good or bad. Yep. And I'm planning on doing more of those, too, because the, I'm realizing that I might, if I start putting them in lists, more people will be like, oh, what is this? What is that? I'm going to do one for 2017. There's some cool games that are out, indie games that are out in 2017 that nobody knows about, and I'm going to talk about them. Yeah, it's actually very interesting because actually 2017 was very good for indie games, but yeah. we've heard about them. You phrase it as, like, the best games of given year you might not have heard of so i'm guessing pyre and night in the woods and tacoma won't be on that list despite being indies exactly but what i was planning on doing this year was doing 
a that you might not have heard of and then doing ones that you have heard of and kind of doing that so I can not only like kind of boost the, the higher the indie games that are going to have more exposure but also the little guys and I know for a fact that the video that's going to be like that you have heard of there will probably be more hits like that's just how it goes but the fact that I can at least give these other ones a little bit of a boost or a little bit of a look at how great this is change your ideals like look at all of this in, entire world that you don't even know about and there's going to be and there's probably going to be more than one visual novel on there just because do you feel that it takes too long to create these videos like or do you wish that your output could be larger i wish it could be i <laughs> i do because that i know how i am i know the kind of person that i am i am i guess a type a personality who try like i try so hard to make things just right and I've gotten a lot better about it but I know that sometimes that I wish I could produce I'd love to produce like a video a week that would be ideal but what I'm going for for my patreon for example if I can get $40 I'll do two late night ponderings a month that was my plan like two late night ponderings a month if I can do that then I'm set and I'd love to do a top 10 a month and I'm trying to work on that and like and be less critical of myself as a creator because it doesn't have to be perfect. I just want people to know that this is a Red Angel production. You're going to get some quality. You might get an audio mess up. You might get a frame rate issue at the corner of the screen in my Dark Souls video. That bothered me so much. You have no idea. I just, I didn't notice it until post-editing and I realized it and I went, son of uh. Like, you just hear yelling from Florida <laughs> over 10,000 miles across the state. You know, yeah, it does, from listening to you talk, it feels like uh, your perfectionism, like, gets in the way of be, just being able to put out content, which is a good thing on the one hand, but on the other hand, if it stalls you. Yeah. It's a big reason why I've started talking to other people about my videos in kind of a talky talky discussion format with a couple of other creators because I'm realizing that it helps kind of make the perfectionism say, okay, all right, well, if they think it's fine, then you should think it's fine. Just kind of calm it down there. Calm it down there. It gets in the way sometimes. It's a lot less terrible than when I started. That's for sure. Because the fact I'm willing to try to do two late night ponderings a month is kind of a big thing because that means I'll have less time to do it. So I have to reel back all of that that obsessive energy that I have. But at the same time, I think it'll make more, like better content. And just not quicker content, but content that people will really enjoy. And I'm trying to make not more jokes, but be a little lighter in how I talk. Because I know that people are think I'm very serious. But as you can tell from how I'm talking here... I'm kind of, I joke a little bit, and with my, I'm really proud of the newest Late Night Ponderings. I'm really proud of it because I'm, because I'm more animated, and my diction is a lot better because of that, rather than talking more rigidly. Yeah, I have noticed in, like, my own work, the format change really helps in just doing things, like, 
like with me, it's, it's a sort of mental block with podcasts. It's like, okay, I'm in the moment. I'm just talking. Half the time, I'm halfway through a sentence, and I have no idea what the point of the sentence is or what or how it's going to end. But if I keep going, eventually I will make a point worth discussing with the other panelists. And that works. But when it comes to writing, it's just like, this is like pulling teeth. And then I never publish anything. Yeah, I know how that is. So if the format change is helping you, that get over that. That's great. Also, you mentioned your Dark Souls videos, and it, it says something. Even a, a channel almost devoted to talking about indies and wanting to hype indies, there's still a Dark Souls video. There's still a Dark Souls video. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I read tweets about how Dark Souls, how this game is like Dark Souls X thing, and I just go full ham in it. And it's probably one of my favorite moments I've done in a video because I just start like going into this direction. I just kind of mess around with my voice and just kind of make it sound crazy. And yet at the same time, I'm sitting here going, I usually talk about indie games, but today I'm going to talk about how game journalists compare everything to Dark Souls. And I kind of loved the editorial dynamic of that because I'm not only talking about game journalists, I'm talking about gamers who do it too. And I'm going after just different aspects of the community. And I realize that I really enjoy doing that. I like kind of picking apart the gaming community and dissecting it and just showing it to people. I'm like, look at this dead frog that is the gaming community. Here you go. Here you go. <laughs> Here you go. Here's, here's to people listening to this, I want the gaming community as a dead frog to be all over Twitter at the <laughs> time of release. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> I'm, like a, I'm like a cat presenting you. It's like, look what I did. I, I dissected it just for you. I had a follow-up question. I don't know what it is now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is good. This is good. This is good. Um. A couple of weeks ago at time of recording, there was uh, people on Twitter are always asking us where they're asked for new video suggestions. And does anyone know when, like, female video essayists yep. on Twitter? And it's like, I saw your name rightfully getting tweeted a couple of times and that getting spread around. But legitimately, it's like when I started this series and then I started noticing, it's like, dude, another white dude, another white dude. <laughs> Half-white dude. It's like, okay, I seriously got to find... I was like, well, there's Heather Alexandra, and, uh, oh, boy. Oh, and Red Angel, who is... who she started really late. Oh, boy. Yeah. And then the thing is, is I started this, like, back in uh, January of 2016, and since then, I think I found, like, one more female YouTuber. I, I don't know if it's partially the algorithm, partially the fact that they've been driven off the platform or if they're just or they're just so insulated for other factors that they're just not out there but could you explain your experience i mean we already discussed bad angel but <laughs> ooh, bad angel ooh, baby what other parts of your experience in that respect you know what's really weird is i've actually had worst experience if we're going to go with sexism let's just let's just put that out there hey everybody it exists just letting you know just it, it happens but I noticed that it's not as bad in the YouTube community for me 
And I think part of the reason is because that I have such a small fan base. And But when I was doing game journalism, it was a lot worse. I had a, somebody who, during that Sexist Games article that I had to write as my trial by fire for Newfeed, this one guy was going, I hope they put it all in a humble bundle one day. And I said, maybe they will. Maybe they will. And I feel like the only way I can respond to any sexism is just this pure unbridled snark and I feel like the reason why there's not more female video game essayists because there's tons of female video game youtubers that play things like niche or they'll play different games and they'll like make stories and they have and they have let's plays and they do face cam and that's the whole thing but I think video essays I don't think when people go I'm gonna make a YouTube channel I don't think a lot of lady YouTubers. I don't think the first thing that comes to their head, they go, I want to write an essay. Let's do it. I could see reviews. I could see more female reviewers, but I haven't seen them. I see a couple, like on and off, and I'll see less players by the dozen. But the only other female video game essayist that I've actually run into is Critique Quest. Yeah. Yeah. She's the only one. And when I found her, I went, are you real? (laughs) There's another one? Hooray! And she's even more recent. Yeah. And I was so excited because I went, oh, my goodness, am I going to make a friend that actually does similar stuff that I do? Oh, hooray. I was so excited. I thought I would find more of them, though, because I'm part of the Gaming Symposium podcast with Errant Signal, Games is Lit, and MC Profit. We haven't done videos in a, a podcast in a bit, but I love those guys. They're my friends, and I feel like a, such a sense of community with them. But I sometimes just go, why isn't there another one? <laughs> why isn't there another female? <laughs> I know that there's, there has to be another. I would love to see Critique Quest on the gaming symposium when we get it kicked back into gear again. And I'd love to talk to Pushing Up Roses because that she's kind of a video essayist about games, and it kind of works. But when I look at my community, I go, man, look at all these guys. I guess I'll just sit here eating my burrito, doing my essays. <laughs> Unlike we can go into, like, the whole intersectional argument, how, like, it's not just guys, it's mostly white guys, and it's mostly white guys from two particular countries. Yeah, which is... America and Scotland, for some reason. Yeah, I noticed that it was weird. I sit there and I go, really, Scotland? Okay. Usually we take Great Britain, but no, for some yeah. reason it's very particularly Scotland. Which is so surprising, because I, I never expected... I was half expecting someone from Germany or something, but nah, nah. That probably is, but sorry, I'm kind of limited to English language yeah. by virtue that it's the only one I speak. I've looked for Spanish video game essays. I have not found one. Cause I can understand Spanish to a certain degree. And I've been looking for one. I go, maybe I could find one. And no, just, just me. And I feel like I think that a big reason why there's not more female video game essays is because, one, there's, okay, there's no money in it. Let's be real. A lot of people who start YouTube things, they want money. I didn't start monetizing my videos till a couple of weeks ago because I was using music from sites that weren't completely royalty-free, and I didn't want to take money away from the artist because that's, that's a jerk move, you know? But there's video essays. There's no – I don't want to say there's no money in it, but I'm imagining – you're already at a disadvantage if you're a female YouTuber that talks about games. Let's be real. You are. Because people are expecting a face cam, and they're expecting, hey, everybody, it's me. Jubei! I don't know. 
I have a black blue plush on my desk. It's like, hey, everybody, it's me, Jubei. Let's talk about, uh, let me think, uh, Wolfenstein 3D. Okay, there we go. And you play, and you're reacting, and it's, or you're really animated. And then compare that to me or Critique Quest and how we talk in our videos. Well, you are pretty animated, but I, I get, I get that's not what you want to do. Yeah, I, because that I know myself well enough, and if I did face cam and all that, I will entirely focus on the game and just occasionally shrug or get so focused on the game I'll start talking out loud that I go, ah, I can see how this connects to this and this and this and this and this and this. And everyone's like, oh man, where's that crazy person talking about video games? But I feel as though that if there could be more female video game essays, that would make things easier for the community, I guess, because it would show some diversity and, and that it's not just one type of person from Scotland or United States that is in this community. But at the same time, I don't mind there not being a lot, because that then I have something that people didn't expect. It's, suddenly, there's, a, there's all two of the three. There's three, right? How many, how many of us are there? There's three, right? Uh, Heather Alexandra mostly works for Kotaku, but she still does video work. Okay, so that counts. All right, so three of us. There's three. Party of three. The thing is, we say that, but I don't want to believe it because YouTube has been very good at hiding things from me. Yeah. And only recommending videos I've watched two or three times already. And so, who knows? There might be someone we're missing, and I've actively looked. I've been, I mean, I know Geek Remix does, does theory videos. Those, those are the only ones that I can think of off the top of my head. Because they did a bunch of Life is Strange theory videos. Also, theory videos are ridiculously popular. Like, the theory video community is incredibly diverse. And some people think that my Life is Strange death and photography video is a... I've had so many people go, that's a great theory video. I went, I researched 100 plus years of photography history. It's not a theory video. This is actually something established in real life. Why do you think it's a theory video? And that's Yeah, and that's something I really want to bring up. Does anyone else ever have that happen where they have this great, well-composed video and they go, that's a great theory. Does that happen to any of the other essays? Because it happens to me. To answer, tweet at RedAngelX3 because we don't have a comment section. <laughs> it's not an essay. It's an essay, not a theory. And I've had, oh my gosh, I've had people compare me to MatPat before. I just went, why? They went, oh, that's a really good theory. I went, mm-hmm. There's actually a video of MatPat that I wanted to correct, that I'm that I have the script for and I have recorded, but I don't know if I should do it. Um. Yeah. So it, it it is a risk on YouTube punching up. It is, but I just I go. You got everything. How? Because he used the MBTI theory to establish why people chose certain choices in Life is Strange and yet didn't define the functions of each part of the personality he presented. He just went, he just used the, the acronym rather than the actual functions, and it drove me nuts. Someone is wrong on the internet, video at 11. I know. It's, it's, such, a, it's such a lost call. I should have been, I go, don't let it bother you. Don't let it bother you. Don't let it bother ah! Although you did manage to turn it into something constructive. I did. Unlike the rest of us. I just, I wrote this like quick thing and I went, okay, this is how the functions work. If you're going to talk about it again, actually do your research. And I know you can do it. I've seen you do it. This has 60 plus years of research. I know you can do it. You can Google it. 
You don't even have to Google Scholar it. You can Google it. I guess speaking on your visibility is, do you feel constrained in that way? Yeah. I feel as though my, I know my videos could get more hits. I know they can. And I fiddled with the algorithm. My, la- my late night ponderings, my recent one, actually got more hits because I posted at a certain time. But I wish I could share it more places or just try to get more visibility and more pushing because I want people to see my videos, not because I, I want to make money. No, I mean, I want them to see a different perspective. And I feel limited and constricted by the YouTube algorithm and how I know that everybody's going to look at my stuff and they're going to go, oh, who's this? They kind of like Aaron's signal. Oh, who's this? Oh, it's a girl. Oh, cool. All right. And I'd love to, for, and I'd love to have people see it. It's like, look, there's someone else. See? And it's because I want them to see a different perspective. If that makes any lick of sense. I like showing people mm-hmm. different views of the world. I like having them just grabbing them by the head and then turning them to a different direction. And while they're kicking and screaming, going, look at it. Look at it. And that's why I started. Yeah. That's honestly why I started making YouTube videos. Because I wanted to show people, look at this. It's something that you might not have seen before or might not have thought of. I'm, heck, I'm going to do an an, a video about an anime soon and go, look at this perspective. Isn't this a weird perspective? You should look at it. The ultimate irony is that the YouTube algorithm rewards frequency. Yeah, and that's the thing that kicks me right in the teeth. Because you want your work to be good or presentable or polished. Is probably the best word yeah. of the other two. Actually, now that you say you're going to do an anime series, you actually have branched out and done two on movies. Yeah. The Babadook and X-Men Apocalypse. Yep. To show completely different <laughs> levels of filmmaking. Yeah. I love my Babadook video. You don't understand. I'm probably going to do another film one at some point. I was thinking about doing it on It. Because I have so much to talk about with it. I have so much to talk about. And I'm, I'm going to try November is, I feel like November is going to be my month. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write these scripts and I'm going to record them. And I'm not going to go full crazy. And <laughs> full, 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 full obsessive owl, angry owl person. But I'm going to try to upload. I'm going to do, my goal is to try to get more than one video out in November. And just make it just so I can get myself more visible and get more people to take notice and say, hey, here's this new video essayist or newish video essayist coming out. She's going to take the, everything by storm. That's what I'm thinking. Just like Hurricane Irma that I had to work at a shelter for for 82 hours. Straight? No, nah, it's 12-hour shifts. One time, though, okay. we worked for 22 hours because we had to spend the night. That was fun. By the way, I worked at a animal and person shelter so it was like a pet shelter oh that must have been let me tell you how much fun it is to hear wire-haired terriers barking in the middle of the night and you're sitting there going why (laughs) why am i mandatory made to do this because i'm a librarian Uh." you mentioned during our emails setting this up that you've lectured at college classes i lectured at the university of kentucky if i remember right i have the flyer i'll put i'll send it to you Yeah, I lectured at a college with Skype because I can't get to Kentucky that quickly. I tried to grow wings, but I could not. But I lectured about 
game journalism because it, it was a it was for a class about game design and game culture and such. And I'm going to find that flyer, darn it. And it was this lecture where she asked me to talk about my experience in game journalism, my experience as a female game journalist, and my experience as a YouTuber. And they said, we love your videos. We want to see more of them. And they, they re it was an entire class that was listening to me talk about my experiences and lecture about how how this is how game journalism works. Like I talk about the the concept of clickbait and how it works and how certain editorials are are more successful because that you make the title slightly different. There was a article that I had that was called uh, Pokemon Uranium Gets Shut Down. It was this really mundane editorial title where I talk about how game journalists are partially responsible for the Pokemon Uranium shutdown because we covered it to death. I don't know if you saw when Pokemon Uranium came out and how many game journalists I just went, oh, Pokemon Uranium's out. It's a better ROM pack than Pokemon Sun and Moon or something like that. And they just, everybody's like covering it, covering it, covering it. And I actually went into the game skinny chat and I said, guys, stop, stop, don't, don't cover anything else. They're going to shut it down. Because I've been there since then, beginning of the beta I don't even remember. And then, of course, you can't download it anymore. Well, you can't, but, of course, Nintendo DCA'd them. And I remember, and I talked about this in the class where I said explicitly, my article title went from something mundane, like, I go, game journalists are part of what, it's something, I, I can't even remember the original title anymore, because it got changed to Pokemon Uranium was shut down and game journalists were to blame. The most inflammatory, terrible title you could possibly do. The most clickbaity title. And it was edited in post. I didn't even know it had been changed. And I talked about how when you're in game journalism, sometimes your editors will just do stuff and change your titles and stuff without telling you. And when you try to change it back, they get really upset at you. And they had no idea. They go, I thought that that was always the writer that did that. And it, no. Editorial mandates because we have to make money. I'm nodding so hard right now. Yep. Okay, this is one of the smaller questions I think I've ever asked on this series. What's with the owl <laughs> in your icon? Because you brought up owls twice so far, and I'm wondering, is this a theme? It is. I originally thought about, my original thing was I was going to have a mascot for my channel rather than using the Red Angel, my appearance. Because I was thinking of having it like, I'm like a little animal. I was originally going to go with a jackalope. That was my original thing. Because it's, it's weird and crazy and it's different, just like indie games. And I went, all right, I could do a jackalope. But then I ended up doing an owl because it kind of fits what I'm trying to do more. And I'm just a big animal person. And I ended up, what I ended up doing was I ended up kind of establishing, I have an animal friend or just having an animal avatar almost. In addition to the Red Angel artwork that you see on my channel, you also can see the little owl that's on my shoulder. And I use it as almost a representation of Red Angel, the person, is the one reading the book and researching and doing all the thing. Red Angel, the owl, is the angry reviewer that's trying to figure everything out. And it's, <laughs> and it's a representation of 
both me as just a normal person and me as a slightly manic, obsessive animal. Because if you think about it, owls traditionally, they're just mean birds. They're not nice animals. Oh, really? Yeah, really. Because they're they get upset and they're just they're just puff balls of upsetness. And I went, I see like owls perfectly represent me as a person when I'm reviewing because I'm expecting to have to fight with something. I'm expecting to do to get through this review, but at one point I know it's, there's going to be this moment where my feathers fluff up and I'm going ah because that's happened a lot when I've thought that I go okay this mini game's pretty good and then there's just one part. There's, this, for example, a game that came out this year, Harold. Here's an example of a feather ruffle moment. I accidentally caused a character's death, a suicide, and they gave me an achievement. Oh. Yeah. And that just in- entirely soured the entire game for me. I went, did you just give me an achievement because that kid committed suicide? And yeah, it did. And it also gives you an achievement for, there you go, congratulations, you just heard this guy's tragic life story Ta-da. and it just soured the entire game for me and i'm still tempted to do a video on just how bad that is in addition to the review and it incites the owl it incites the very upset angry owl reviewer just the i went from normal critical reviewer to ah, hoot, hoot, ah. well male men are always angry uh. shout out to the three people that got that joke you were not one of them, apparently. Nope, but I'm, just gonna go, I'm sorry. Owl, male. I don't know. No. no. I'm sorry. The Harry Potter joke. Oh, my okay. God, really? I'm so, oh, God, I should be flogged for that. Uh. Owls deliver the mail. Oh, my. I See, but you said it male, man, and I was, my brain went male. Uh, and they, I, oh, okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Is there anything else about your work and career that I didn't ask about that you want to talk about? Um, I honestly cannot think of anything at the moment. If you want to talk about my style of the late night ponderings, the editorial style. Go ahead. Okie dokie. All right. So late night ponderings as a production, a good way of thinking about it is think about it as a video editorial for that you would see maybe, maybe not on a Kotaku, but just you, you would hear about an editorial, and yet there's a little bit of spice to it, you know? There's normal editorials, which are, which are very, they have opinions, and they're very even keel most of the time. The late night ponderings has spawned from my own editorial style, from Game Skinny and from Noob Feed. And I can tell that if you look at my past work on Noob Feed as Artemis, by the way, if you look at my past editorial style, you can see the cracks of going from normal journalism to video essaydom, except instead of just the normal video or editorial style, it's just a big block of text of me just explaining a thing rather than me trying to keep it a little light. And then with Game Skinny, you'll notice that I get a little bit more, I don't want to say saucy, but I get a little bit more kind of matter-of-factly, this is how it is. And I've had people tell me who've read my work for a long time that they'll, they say that we've noticed that late night pondering is this evolution of how you went from normal game journalists with normal editorial stuff. Because when you're an intern, you have to follow things by the book pretty strictly because you were chosen for this internship at Gamescape. 
This is, I mean, that's how it used to be. You get, I was selected. I applied and everything. I had a whole thing. There was a huge set of standards that are not there as much now, and I don't want to be mean, but there's some articles on there where I'll read them and I go, if this happened back when I first started game journalism over at Game Skinny, they wouldn't have accepted this at all. But now my late night ponderings has become my editorials, but with a lot more of me in them and a lot more of criticism of the culture and of the and of the games industry. And you can tell that I care a lot less about following the quote unquote rules that we've had for game journalism for so long. If all of that registers. By the way, the rules for game journalism is what it used to be, at least, for when back back in the day when I did it. Eh was if you write an editorial, you have to have like this structure and you can't be too inflammatory because people gonna get mad at you. And then I noticed after, you know, that certain incident, that changed everything. And actually it at the time of when it happened, I was working at Gamescaping as the intern. This is before I was offered the job over at Noobfeed. And our editor in chief, and for those of you who don't know, it's it's one of those moments where we were not allowed to cover it. We weren't even allowed to talk about it. Only the editors could talk about it. And we had to be really careful about what we said and the articles we wrote at the time, to the point where it was almost like we were sterilizing ourselves because we didn't want to get involved. And during that time, I almost stopped covering games and just was done because of how the environment became just instead of being able to slowly integrate and grow, we were kind of shuttered in. And it was around that time when I got offered the job at Newfeed a little bit later. I ended up kind of branching out and like not directly ever addressing the big gamer gate elephant in the room, but I was able to, to be a little bit more free on how I was doing it. And I feel like, I don't want to say that, hmm, nope, I forgot what I was saying. I went on a tangent. I'm sorry. Delete that shit. Okay. Sorry. I feel like I should restate all of that. Oh, my God. I don't know where that went. I just had an ADD moment hard. <laughs> the style of late night ponderings? Let's do that again. Well, let's right. go back to it. All right, yeah. The style of late night ponderings has become has not only become part of my writing, but it's become part of my very personal being because I feel like late night ponderings, it used to just be this editorial style that I did that I that's part of me that's part of how I write but now it's starting to become late night ponderings and red angel are really close together and I really enjoy that I like the closeness that I can establish with myself and I feel like when I'm talking in my videos talking to you directly like I come up to you and I roll my chair over and I look at you dead in the eye and I start explaining it like a teacher or a librarian, in my case. But I feel as though that I'm making a connection to my audience in late night ponderings that I don't think a lot of people can make in certain in certain styles of videos. Maybe that's strange to say, but I feel like I can personally connect with people with late night ponderings almost more so than my bigger works, but because I feel like it's just I'm talking to you directly, like I'm having a conversation. What do you think about that, in your opinion? I don't know, because it's the way I consume videos is generally in big blocks all at once, so maybe it can feel like a conversation, but I tend to, like, as soon as I finish one, I'm, like, right on to the next one that's appeared. 
I'm also not the type of person who gets in close, so I don't. I'm probably not the best person to ask. True. Well, I guess we just finish it up with the final question. Got it. What is your favorite video game of all time? Beyond Good and Evil. Wow, there was no hesitation there. Nope. <laughs> you had that one set up ahead of time. Oh yeah. I listened to most of the podcasts before we started talking, so it's <laughs> ah, <I was> ready. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's always nice to find someone who's actually listened to these. Well, when you said, I want you to be part of a podcast, I go, I better listen to every single one then. Oh, good God. I, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I did skip a couple. I, I'm sorry. I listened to as many as I could. Good God. Good God. Why would you do that to yourself? Because I wanted to be ready. <laughs> I asked you like four days ago. I know. <laughs> so there's a lot of downtime while being a librarian, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because we're sitting there and I'm going, well. Well, then what about Beyond Good and Evil? <laughs> oh, gosh. Where do I start? Um, okay. The story was very well composed and except for that except for that ending except for that cliffhanger ending that they had me waiting for for years but now beyond good evil 2 is out so we're gonna come but out it's a, but it's a prequel i know but maybe they'll do something with it i don't know i will forever be mad about that ending <laughs> i will forever have salt about that ending but at the same time beyond good evil's story structure and how they establish things how they set up each individual plot point and each individual character point, including the NPCs. I don't know if you ever, in Beyond Good and Evil, if you've played it. Have it's you, one of my favorites. Good. Good answer. Have you ever, did you ever keep going back to the lighthouse? Yeah, I, I've 100%ed it multiple times. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that the conversations change with the kids ever so slightly, even, and in the overworld, too, that the game evolves as you're fixing it, you're, you're becoming part of the world because that they're talking about things that you've done, things that has been established. And back when that came out as younger me, that blew my mind. It wasn't like Silent Hill where you were messing everything up. Everything was already dead anyways. No, you're actually helping the world and also making it worse a little bit because you're, a lot of people are getting kidnapped. Time is progressing forward. Yeah. And it's so good how they do it and they establish plot points for the game through in even in the beginning they have little tiny symbols or little small glances or the, the tone of voice in the actors 2,000 points for Gryffindor just oh my goodness did you there's such subtle inflection you can't get in almost any other game sometimes I and it drove me insane because it's just that there's sometimes where Paige will talk to Jade, and you can tell that he's holding something back in his voice, and you go, what's he talking about? And it's just, it's like a normal, they made this world so alive and so established. And the gameplay works, too, by the way. I love the combat. It's just fast, and I love it. And then the slow motion is crazy and great. But they made this game a living, breathing world that you are a part of and you are actively doing things. Time progresses. You get money for doing things for the kids. The racing parts are terrible and I hate them, but I still do them anyway. <laughs> uh, well, tell the people where they can find your work. You can find my work at Search for Red Angel on YouTube. I'm the second one down. I'm the redhead with the owl on her shoulder. I have several videos. There should be more. I'm working on it. 
And I'm also I also have a Patreon if you want to support my work that way. I also have a Curious Cat, and I'm also on Vidme if you just search me that way. There's also a podcast that I'm a part of called The Gaming Symposium that I have with Errant Signal, Games is Literature 101, and MC Profit. And that's where you can find me, Red Angel, and all of my subsequent work. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear you comment. I'd love to hear your criticism. Please comment because that's how I learned to improve and become a better YouTuber. I'm Red Angel, and I will see you next time. And that's it for us. This has been the Critical Distance Confab and a production of CriticalDistance.com. If you like the work that we do at Critical Distance, you can also support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash CritDistance. And I also appreciate feedback. In fact, I would love to have any feedback whatsoever on the work I do on this podcast. So please rate and review us on iTunes because that's the best way for that to happen. And we at Critical Distance would like to especially thank certain Patreon supporters, including Akshgan D, Brendan V, David K, Joe O, Nathan G, Ted D, and Theme A. Thank you for your, all your support in our endeavors. And thank you, Red Angel, for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. After interviewing so many people over the years, it's kind of nice to be the one being interviewed for once. Easy, ain't it? Sort of. <laughs> well, it's been a blast. Blast.